Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Teo Podcast, The Pandemic Press. And today we have a special guest uh, named Bob Berry. He's a researcher, innovator, author, inventor, entrepreneur and trainer. He guides professionals and top businesses including Google, Facebook, FedEx, Twitter and Amazon to create exceptional online experiences that drive customer response and produce results now critical for survival as covid-19 forces the world economy online so he does a really lot of things and uh let's get into the conversation the audio uh good i can hear you well So you can start uh, by introducing yourself, and I will uh, give you some questions. Uh, if that's okay, you can answer. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast. You're covering some very interesting and relevant topics. I'm glad to be a part of this. Uh, my name is Bob Berry. I am a user experience researcher. Uh, I currently am a principal at a company called Answer Lab, uh, based in the Bay Area. And we work with a lot of the top brands in the country, such as Facebook, Google, Apple, Twitter, FedEx, et cetera, to help them with uh, various aspects of their digital transformation and creating user experiences that help them be successful and help their users and their customers be successful. Uh, I have had a passion for experience in general for a number of decades. I've been doing this for a long time. And uh, I also do a lot of additional work in addition to what I do for Answer Lab to help people learn about user experience. I do a lot of speaking, teaching, podcasting to uh, help people um, really understand the value of experience. Um, what I do is based on a very simple premise, which is that um, virtually everything that happens in the business world and actually in the world and in life in general, occurs within the context of some kind of experience that we have as human beings. And so the decisions that we make in those experiences are what drives business, what drives business outcomes, and also in many cases determines the quality and the fabric of our lives. So experience is everything in my mind. And so I'm here to help people learn about experience and develop it and learn how to apply it in useful ways. Okay. So the game regarding business has changed during COVID-19 pandemic. How so? Uh, in many ways. It has, um, it, in many different industries, the, um, the transformation has been very dramatic. And in some industries, it's gone well. And in some industries, it's not gone very well. Uh, a lot of this, of course, is driven by a couple of major factors. One is the need to conduct a business contactless. So companies have, in many ways, 
either learn how to go online and conduct a business remotely, virtually, digitally, or they've had to expand their current digital offerings in the form of e-commerce and interacting with customers remotely and providing online materials where maybe they used to do it face-to-face. Uh, you know, we could go through many of the major industries and talk about all the specific um, uh, challenges and transformations that have happened. You know, I mentioned e-commerce. That's a very, that's a huge one. Uh, you know, the volume of e-commerce business in the last year and a half has skyrocketed. Uh, you know, the workplace has changed dramatically. So many of us are working remotely. Uh, and that's probably in many cases going to be a permanent effect. Uh, the way we manage healthcare. You know, a lot of the ways we interact with doctors and health professionals is now done remotely. Uh, education has been entirely transformed as well, and that actually has not gone very well. That's one of those examples. Certainly at uh, the elementary level and with younger children, parents have struggled mightily to help their children while they're working at home and while their children are at home. And, um, you know, entertainment has changed, you know, with we're just now starting to get back to movie theaters and going to shows again. But for a long time, all of our entertainment was online so we could do that contactless. And I, you know, I could just go on and on. The number of ways that industry and business has changed is, um, has been really dramatic. And what are the strategies like Apple, Google, Facebook and Amazon uh, take to thrive in a time like this? So their focus is been on creating experiences that more and more people can use and more and more people can be successful with. So they've had to um, significantly expand the volume of business that they do. And again, every transaction that happens with Amazon, for example, happens within some kind of online experience that Amazon provides their users and their customers. So they've spent a lot of time, and, and this is not something new, they, this is, they've been doing this for years, which is why they're so successful, is creating an online shopping and payment experience that um, in many cases uh, is, is actually delightful to use. The volume of business that they've done during the pandemic has been pretty dramatic. Uh, also, if you look at uh, companies like Facebook and other social media companies, because we haven't been able to uh, interact face-to-face, -face, we've had to rely on social media a lot more and a lot of those platforms to, um, you know, to connect with the people, the family, friends, workers, uh, colleagues. And so we've had to rely on those platforms a lot more in order to, um, you know, just simply have the social connections that we need, but also to conduct business and to do a lot of the things that we need to do in our daily lives. And, you know, Zoom is a classic example as well. So, I don't know how many thousands of hours I have spent, and I probably you as well, and yes. many people probably listening to this podcast, whether it's you know Zoom or WebEx or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams or whatever it might be, you know we've all gotten a lot better at using these platforms and being comfortable with them and being able to do whatever we need to do, um, you know, without being able to meet face to face. So. All of those tools, the level of usage and the kinds of experiences that they've provided has, um, has advanced a lot in the last 18 months since, since we started into COVID. And uh, what about Apple? I, I, don't want, I don't know much about Apple's strategy during the pandemic. So, of course, Apple's main um, 
Apple's main contribution to this whole realm is the, are the devices that they provide. So, you know, the, um, the, the, the platforms that I described, like, uh, like Zoom or uh, like Facebook or, you know, or shopping on Amazon, you know, all of those require some kind of platform, some kind of device for us to load them and, and, and use them. So uh, there's kind of a, um, a partnership that goes on there or a collaboration or a, some kind of synergy that has to occur there. So a lot of these companies provide the content and the platforms and then companies like Apple and uh, also Google because you know, they're, they're behind the, the whole Android system. So they provide a lot of those devices that, um, that we all use in order to conduct all this business and you know, interact with our social media and um, you know, talk to our doctors and help try, try to educate our kids and all these kinds of things. So, so they're, they, they continue to advance the, the really incredibly effective experiences that they provide on the iPhone, the iPad, MacBook, on, you know, on the Apple Watch and all the other devices that they provide. So those, plat those devices are just as important. Yes, and the softwares that we can attain from each company. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes. And what are the three powerful actions uh, businesses can take to transcend to a new future? So another, another set of challenges that we're focusing on right now, and, um, and we're actually starting some new research to learn more about how organizations and businesses and professionals are coping with this, is there's a, um, a very rapid prolif proliferation of misinformation online. Uh, and this is especially true in the US, but it's, um, it's also, uh, very, very, um, very relevant throughout most of the world. Uh, because of the current social and political climate, there's a tendency toward uh, fragmentation of, of information. People get locked into their own bubbles. So this is kind of the downside of a lot of this technology. As COVID has forced us to go online and rely a lot more on online sources of information and news and education and learning and connecting with people, um, those sources and that content has become more and more fragmented. And whatever our belief systems happen to be, um, we can find other people and other information sources to reinforce our existing beliefs. We, we create these little bubbles around ourselves. And, um, and in many cases, you know, that right now there's a lot of misinformation about COVID uh, there's a lot of misinformation about uh, what's happening with a lot of the, uh, the political situation in the U.S. and other countries. There's a proliferation of conspiracy theories. Uh, and in many cases, it's just a lot of lies, outright untruths being uh, promoted out there. So um, a really important aspect um, that, that, that we want to provide and promote is to create authentic experiences that people can trust. Because with all this misinformation, there's a significant lack of trust. People no longer have trust in a lot of the information that they find and that they get. And so by creating authentic experience, we can help build that trust. We can provide people with information and sources that are a lot more truthful and a lot more reliable. Uh, another aspect of this too is in many cases, 
Um, the best way to really understand what's happening in people's lives and what they're challenging, what they're challenged with and what, what challenges they face is, um, is to go to them and interview them directly. So our research methods involve working, and of course we're doing all this remotely now because of COVID, but we, uh, we do a lot of research where we observe people uh, in depth, in a lot of detail, and a lot of different methods that we use to do this, to really observe them as they encounter the experiences that these companies and that whatever we, what kind of ex, whatever kind of experiences we provide, we observe how they go through that and we interview them and we do a, um, a very in-depth process to really understand what goes through their minds, what resonates with them, what they find effective, what they respond to. And by doing that direct research with people, we can get beyond a lot of the misinformation and a lot of the um, deceptive practices that are out there and really understand what people need and what people want. Yeah. So that's another important aspect of research is to be able to do that direct contact with people and really learn about their personal experiences. Yes, uh, and uh, also we have to tell the difference between misinformation and uh, um, people just spreading education of what they learned because there is um, a difference between them and it, sometimes it clashes. Yes, and um, and what we have found in in conducting the research is by providing an effective uh, interview and questioning technique, we can help people begin to examine their own assumptions and their own beliefs, and really understand how they have developed those beliefs and where they get their information sources from. And some people, uh, and and sometimes with some of these. Um, uh, some of these belief systems, people haven't really examined them. They haven't really asked themselves the questions about whether they are uh, using reliable information sources. And so part of the research process is to teach them and encourage them how to ask the right questions about how to determine whether an information source is reliable and then how to help them begin to recognize um, how those information sources might influence their decisions might influence who they interact with and influence where they go online. So that, that interviewing, that research, that inquiry process helps them be more objective about what they're encountering and what they might do with it. Yes, and there's also uh, the way people persuade things online. So it's, it's a matter of fact, they might only show one side of the story and not the other side of the story. And then you have to keep on asking yourself, that part, I feel like uh, not the majority of the audience do not do that. Yeah, and that's one of the benefits that when, when we invite people into the research processes that we do, we try to provide them a variety of perspectives. So we show them different information sources, different online experiences, different websites, different apps. And a lot of these are things that they may not have encountered before. So we're going to try and broaden their horizons and get them to see, in addition to, again, without being judgmental, all of this is in the process of giving them something further to consider, to expand their thinking, to expand their belief systems, and also to listen to their reactions to them, to really begin to, um, to, to unpack how they perceive these new experiences that they're having and what, what effect they might have on them. And then from there from the, 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 what we learn 
from those research experiences. We then use those findings to expand our approaches and our methods so with the next population that we work with, we can be still more effective. So it's very much an iterative process. Okay. So uh, I can you also explain how the experience has changed uh, in business uh, during the past and now? Past oh, it, well, it, it, uh, well, it depends on how far back you go. Yeah, <laughs> so, past 10 years. Yeah. Oh, past 10 years. Probably the, um, well, one of the biggest changes is the, the sheer volume of information and options that are out there. Yeah. So the uh, social media has literally exploded in that, in those 10 years. So the, um, the, 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 the sources of knowledge, of, of truth, of learning, um, is virtually infinite now. And again, whatever belief system you have, um, it's very easy to, however true or false it may be, it's very easy to find other people and other informations to reinforce um, those belief systems. So, so the number of information sources that it has exploded. Um, another massive change, of course, is the shift to mobile. So 10 years ago, the um, you know we had smartphones the you know the beginnings of smartphones simple smartphones, but even back then um, most people did a lot of their online activity with computers, yes, of some kind or another. Um, but now today there are literally are more smartphones on the planet than there are human beings. So that explosion of mobile devices means that you know we have these in our pockets and we take them everywhere we go and they've become so powerful and, and, the, and the user experience has become so instantaneous. Um, most of us are addicted to them in one form or another. So the, the, the explosion of mobile and the, um, and the design of mobile experiences has had a dramatic impact on uh, the entire planet, really. It's, it's, a, it's a truly astounding change that's occurred over the last, probably really the last five years, but certainly started about 10 years ago with the launch of the iPhone and, and similar products. So those are, those are probably two of the biggest, is the, the, the type and variety of content sources, for better or worse, and the explosion of mobile devices and the power of the interface on those mobile devices. They're like mini computers, and it's so easy to use. And we have gone like too dependent over it. Like for the slightest thing, we use our phones. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was, um, um, I was in the doctor's office uh, earlier this week. Yeah. And there were probably 15 or 20 people in the waiting room. And every single person in the room had their smartphone and they were staring at their smartphone. Um, I also just got back from... Um, a short trip, I went to visit some family over the weekend and sitting in the airport in the, in the gate area, in the waiting area in the airport, uh, probably 50 or 60 people sitting there and virtually every one of them, including me, had their smartphone in their hand and there were you know, everybody staring at them. And we've just become so locked into those devices that um, it's, it's actually kind of scary. I look at my own behavior and I, I know I do it way too much. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of stopped uh, doing that recently. 
because it's so like it's like so energy draining and it kind of like makes you like dumber or <laughs> as well i mean i feel like um during my parents time like they use their head more than uh, they use the phones yes <laughs> i um i live in colorado and um we're um we're not very far from some pretty large wilderness areas so periodically i like to get out of town and and go into the mountains and go into the, yes, into the forest because there's no signal yes so i i don't have any choice there's no wi-fi there's no broadband i have to turn my phone off because i can't use it anyway i mean it's so when I'm in town, it's sort of, it's a matter of willpower. I have to force myself to put it down, turn it off, whatever. Yeah. But if I'm out there in the mountains, I don't have any choice because I don't have a signal anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the best ways uh, to challenge yourself. Yes. Yeah. So what are the major trends for technology, marketing, um, operations, uh, customer experience, and security? Ooh, those are all big ones. Um so let's take let's take them one at a time. So start yes. with start with one or two. Technology. So technology, I think probably one of the the biggest trends in technology, and we're starting to see it now already, and it's been going on for some time, is the proliferation of artificial intelligence and machine learning, smart systems. So already our smartphones are learning about us. You know, they, you know, there are all these algorithms on the phone and on these different platforms that we talked about that monitor our behavior and begin to do more predictive things. So when, um, you know, when we're on one, we're on Facebook or another social media platform or we're on YouTube, you know, the algorithms know what we've consumed and they serve up more of the same, which is part of which is part of the problem because then we get deeper and deeper into our little bubble of what we are we're interested in in our belief systems and our perspectives. Uh, also, what we're starting to see there are actually some kind of and you probably have heard about some of these. There are some scary things starting to happen with artificial intelligence now, where uh, you probably heard of deep fakes, yeah. where. Uh, artificial intelligence is smart enough to begin to simulate people's voices, to actually begin to simulate people's facial expressions, where you can actually create a video that looks and sounds like the real thing of another person, but it's entirely artificial. Um, and a lot of the content that we're starting to see online, blog posts, articles, uh, you know, uh, text and related kind of information, is starting to be generated by machines. So machines can now write poetry, write articles, write stories that in many cases um, is very difficult to uh, distinguish those from what a real human wrote. So that's like uh, a major um, uh, like disruption for the copywriting industry. Major disruption. So before where a human being might sit down and take half an hour, an hour to write a blog post or an article, yeah. uh, a, a good machine learning algorithm can crank out literally thousands of articles in that same period of time. So that's very difficult to compete with. Yes. Uh, especially if you're relying on, for example, search engine optimization, and you're relying on the volume of content and the 
specific structure of the content to, to drive interest and traffic. It, so for small businesses and entrepreneurs who need to attract customers through content or through, through search engines, very soon they're going to become completely overwhelmed by the companies that can afford to build machine learning algorithms that can write that content for them because it's the, the, the sheer volume and in some cases even the quality is not going to be it, it humans just can't compete so those are so from a technology standpoint um artificial intelligence virtual reality deep fakes machine generated content um you know our devices in these platforms the algorithms getting smarter and smarter that's probably going to be one of the major developments in, in technology um what was your next one marketing oh yeah yeah marketing it, it, marketing falls in this realm as well because for for various reasons because um especially online marketing relies so much on content um and and again the ability of the algorithms to control the marketing formulas now is going to be is going to be very significant another effect um, on marketing is also COVID. So uh, companies uh, invested a great deal um, and you know, since the dawn of the internet and the web, companies have built massive databases of their customers, who they are, what their preferences are, contact information, what they've purchased, you know, um, contact history, all sorts of, this, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Of course, one of the other major side effects of COVID has been the economic impact and what, especially the impact it's had on smaller businesses and entrepreneurs. And, and people have changed jobs. People are not working in the locations that they were before. Their contact information may have changed, et cetera. So a lot of the marketing databases that were built prior to COVID, uh, a lot of that information now may be outdated right? or even obsolete. So customers are faced with the challenge now of rebuilding or updating or in some way reworking their entire uh, marketing intelligence system because COVID has been so disruptive. So that's a major effect on marketing. Uh, I think on, from a marketing standpoint too, uh, we're gonna see experience become more and more relevant. Um, the, if, you, if, you, if we just think about our own lives, the, um, some of the old ways of doing marketing are just not going to work anymore. You know, being um, totally inundated with spam, that's not relevant. Um, we, everybody has become so immune to that and so annoyed by that, that that's, that's, I mean, there's still a lot of that going on, but it's going to become less and less effective. And more and more, we're going to be looking at experiences that speak to us, that we care about, that have some meaning in our lives from, from a marketing standpoint. So, Marketing experience is going to be a new realm that I, I think companies are going to have to pay a lot more attention to in order to make a more authentic uh, presentation to potential customers and engage them in ways that are going to be more meaningful for them. And that's, that's, that's going to be a big challenge for a lot of companies. And uh, customer experience. Yeah, customer experience is going to be touched by all of these. I think the... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, going contactless is probably in the you know in the last couple of years has been the biggest difference there, um, and you know some organizations, some companies have um, have done a really good job of this, 
and um, and and some organizations continue to struggle with it. Um, so, the for example, um, you know, uh, since I'm vaccinated now, I've been going instead of doing remote doctor visits, I've been going to the doctor for you know dentist and those things like that. And um, but during COVID, before the vaccinations, um, uh, you know, I have a doctor that I work with pretty regularly, and um, and they tried to set up remote uh, virtual visits with Microsoft Team, and um, and they it just didn't work, mm -hmm. and so so the customer experience was really bad, um, and we actually had to end up just doing a phone call in order to have a consult with the doctor. Uh, so so some companies have the technology and the skills um, to make that remote contactless customer experience work. And some companies are really struggling with it. And a lot of it depends on the kind of industry and the kind of business you're in as well. But that's a COVID has had a big, a big effect on that. And security. Yeah, security um, is a big one. So privacy now becomes more and more of a concern. Um, and uh, because we're spending so much more time online and so much more of what we're doing is done virtually, then uh, being able to protect our identification, being able to um, protect ourselves from hackers and from data breaches is going to be a lot more important. And uh, in the world of COVID, there are a lot of new privacy concerns coming up. Uh, for example, um, you know, there are, there's a, a lot of debate uh, and a lot of conflict right now about, for example, um, vaccination records. You know, so some entities like schools and some businesses are requiring us to prove that we've been vaccinated or be able to produce a, um, you know, a recent COVID test. Yes. And, and there are some people that really resist that. They see that as an invasion of their privacy, an invasion of their personal freedoms. And, uh, and obviously, our ability to get vaccinated and our ability to prove that we've done that and our ability to have a significant portion of the population vaccinated and, and really be able to have records that can demonstrate that is going to be really essential, especially if another variant of COVID comes along after Delta. Uh, but obviously, there are literally tens of millions of people in the US that resist that strongly because they see that as a violation of their personal freedoms and their and their personal privacy. Uh, and we haven't solved that problem. Um, yeah, and, you even, know, in the, even in the medical sector, it's the same thing. It's like, yes. uh, it, they feel like whenever they want to you know, spread their kind of view. It's like there's there's no freedom for that. There's no freedom for speech. Yes, right. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of the political, social, and political issues that we're struggling with. So you know, last summer, with a lot of the civil unrest that occurred in the U.S. after um, um, after George Floyd died, and in, in police hands. Uh, you know, police departments and cities were using more uh, facial recognition software uh, during a lot of these protests. And so um, law enforcement has a real mixed uh, uh, track record on the use of facial recognition. 
and you, you know, I, I, as far as public safety and being able to protect property and things like that, you know, they can make a good case for why facial recognition is important. Um, on the other hand, there's also been a number of cases where that technology was abused and was not used effectively. Uh, also with facial recognition, there's a lot of evidence that, um, that the software is seriously racially biased. And, um, and the, some of the companies are recognizing that their algorithms have a lot of these biases built in, but it's not clear that they've figured out how to solve that problem. So privacy is a big issue and it's not one that's gonna go away because, um, because of the nature of our, um, uh, what's happening in our cities and, and how we're gonna be able to manage the pandemic going forward. Um, so these are big problems that we haven't solved. They're, yeah, they're, especially targeted ads. You know, if people say, what are my greatest fears? It will be targeted ads. <laughs> yes, I know. And, and, you know, if you look at a lot of different, a lot of these different industries that we talked about. Um, so even like education. So, so there's a lot more now where we used to do at all levels of education, there's a lot more that we used to do in person in a classroom. And we were a lot more confident about what happened with our information. And now that we have to do everything online, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned healthcare, that's another one, you know, everything we do now with healthcare goes through an app or goes through a website or is communicated electronically. And, um, and anything that's electronic, anything that's in digital form is at risk. Um, and so there's a lot the, the, that those problems are just, gonna, I think, going to get more challenging as we go forward. And, uh, OK, industries um, like uh, telehealth services, e-commerce stores, online entertainment, um, they are the ones that are thriving, thriving during this period of time. How well are they thriving from hospitality, transportation services, or uh, automotive manufacturing? Yeah, so um, hospitality has been a, probably been hit one of been one of the industries that's been hit one of the hardest. Um, and so, um, you know, personally, I, I've started to go to restaurants more. Um, but most of the time, we look for restaurants that have an, uh, have outdoor seating. Um, and when we go to restaurants, then um, you know they're they're just not as full and as as busy as they were before COVID. You know, during the worst part of COVID, before people were vaccinated, uh, you know there were a lot of restaurants that just went out of business because they they couldn't cope. And, and we still do a lot of carry out. So half the time we may go and sit outside, half the time we may just go pick it up. I mean, we, we don't do as much curbside. You know, during, during the pandemic, we would, have, we, would go, we would use restaurants that brought food out to the car. And I think a lot of people did that. And you know, more and more, even if we do carry out, we'll still go into the restaurant. And here in France, uh, some uh, restaurants have closed because uh, they believe that having vaccinated, only vaccinated uh, customers are uh, discrimination against the others. And therefore like they have closed down. 
and they are like i i feel like some uh, some restaurant owners are like really brave for doing that because um, we don't know it, when this will end yes right and um some restaurants i um i have found seem like they've again it, it, there's a wide variety of um how successful restaurants have been in coping with this some restaurants seem to have really struggled with it for various reasons other restaurants seem to be doing pretty good that they've figured out how to make it work uh another effect that we're seeing which i honestly i've done some research on this and i honestly don't completely understand it that restaurants in the hospitality industry are dealing with is the labor shortage so there are um you know typically restaurants um you know service jobs like that are typically young people uh and they're unskilled labor and they you know the the if there are any benefits they're they're not very good and the jobs don't pay very well and so here um in in some areas where i live restaurants are only open part of the week because they can't find enough staff they can't hire enough people to and you know and they're increasing their wages but it's not making a difference people people are leaving the service industries in large numbers and um and it's difficult to i think there are a lot of factors in, at play here but it's real that's another another issue that uh, that they're facing so um i mentioned that i went uh um i went on a short uh trip over the weekend to um to visit some family and that was the first time i've been on a plane in a year and a half and the you asked about transportation. Yes. Uh, the airports and the airplanes were completely packed with people. Um, in fact, uh, I, for the airports that I use, I have never seen that many people. Uh, so That's kind of ironic, right? It, pardon me. It's very ironic. It is very ironic. And now you hear a lot of stories about people misbehaving on airplanes and and you know causing real problems. Um, you know, I'm just one data point, but everybody seemed to be pretty well behaved. Everybody wore their masks and everybody cooperated. And, but the, um, yeah, I was just amazed at the, how long the lines were and how long it took to get through security and how full the planes were. It was, um, so the travel industry seems to be doing a lot better, at least from my perspective and what I've read too, you know, it yeah, seems like the short, it yeah, like, like short distance travels. Mm -hmm. say, yeah. They're doing yeah. pretty well. And uh, even transportation services like the tramways uh, and uh, the train still packed. Oh, really? Buses, yeah. even buses as well. Yeah, and are people wearing masks? Are they, you know, are people being? Yeah, yeah. they're wearing they're wearing masks, but some of them even not. Um, they are very ignorant. Like they don't wear it properly. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's still people like. Um, just being themselves, they don't take the pandemic so seriously. Yeah. So, uh, were there other um, other sectors or yeah. industries that you automotive, asked? Uh, automotive manufacturing. Oh, I don't know. That's a good one. I'm not so sure about that. Um, um, I don't have any insight into that. Are you hearing anything about automotive and what's happening there? I think uh, that it's not doing very well uh, mm -hmm. during this period of time. And I have a friend who's um, who has his own automotive um, company, and he says that he's trying to outsource 
mm. uh, people, uh, but um, he has to make sure uh, how it works. He actually uh, benefited from online, uh, from online selling, and uh, it worked. But it's not as great as how he did it before, like in from in person. Yeah. So, um, so he's outsourcing the labor. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, another effect on um, automotive that I have actually done some research on, um, which has had an effect on other industries as well, is the chip shortage. So there's a there's a real um, there's a, what what is approaching a crisis of semiconductor uh, manufacturing capacity and availability. So some. Um, some automotive production lines have either scaled back or shut down. You know, new cars these days have so much electronics in them. And there's, you know, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 major chips in every new car. And, um, and that's just the simpler cars that, you know, the more complex cars probably have more than that. And some of the automotive companies have had a really hard time getting semiconductor capacities and chips that they need. So that's been a real issue as well. And, and I don't think the last I read about this, I don't think there's any end in sight. It continues to be a pretty serious problem in some parts of the world. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there are flu uh, fluctuations of Apple stocks uh, due to their ever-changing strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't... Um, Unfortunately, I don't own any Apple stock. <laughs> I wish yeah, I did. I wish me, I would have. Yeah, me, me neither. I'm just like, I just have plans for the future. <laughs> yeah. So they've, um, Apple has managed to, um, um, I, I own, I own all Apple devices. So, um, I own Mac and iPhone, iPad, Apple watch, all the other accessories and everything that goes with it. So, from an experience standpoint, you know, again, being a, um, a very focused on, a, a, you know, the design of effective interfaces and experiences, I, I, I think Apple is head and shoulders about everyone else. I'm continually impressed by what they do. And I think it has a lot to do with their success. So, um, you know, I mean, in a way, um, you know, there have been, there've been a few major events in history with regard to technology yeah. and with regard to experience that have literally changed the world. So I'll just mention a couple, I could name several, I just mentioned a couple. So, um, you know, the, the, the web really came online in the early nineties when a company called Netscape invented the web browser uh, and then AOL had a web browser. And, you know, the, the internet actually existed uh, decades before that. Yeah. Uh, so the internet did not come, did not, was not invented in the 90s. What was invented in the 90s was a web browser, which was a new way of interacting with the internet. Yes. And then, of course, it exploded and, the, you know, it changed the world. Um, and then smartphones existed before Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. Yeah. Um, but once Steve Jobs announced the iPhone and that touch interface, it became more common. Um, became it, it, it was so much easier for you know I, before the iPhone I owned a BlackBerry and I thought it was a great device, but compared to the iPhone, not even close. So, mm -hmm. and of course now you know all smartphones have that some variation of that same interface that Steve Jobs invented uh, with the the first iPhone. So those are two examples of 
the technology already existed, the infrastructure was already there, but we invented a new interface. We invented a new experience, whether it was the web browser or the iPhone. And the new experience is what changed everything. So those are a couple of examples. And, and again, going back to Apple, you know, they're the ones that um, are largely responsible for them. There being, you know, billions of these things floating around the planet. Yeah, and it's like easier for them, like uh, them to like take information from us because, like, I'm an i iPhone user, but like I prefer my laptop to be uh, Microsoft because I like studied all the softwares and I was a kid, uh, which is all Microsoft. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm very comfortable with that MS Access. I I know all uh, how to use them. That's why I prefer the Microsoft laptop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But like the iPhone has been like so useful for me. <laughs> so how long how long have you used um, iPhone? When did you get your first iPhone? Uh, 2014. Oh, okay. So you've been using it for for quite a while. Yeah. yeah so you've probably, probably been through a few generations. Yeah. Yes. So I I kind of like the Apple. I think the design is new. But when I try to operate the Mac, it's like. Um, it's like a totally new experience for me. It's like, I don't even know how to click. <laughs> well, back when I started doing experience, user experience, in, uh, it was actually in the, in the early 90s. Um, back then, the only web browser was Internet Explorer. Yeah. And, uh, and we did, you know, 98% of our testing was done. Now we do it on all these different devices, all these different operating systems, all these different browsers and, and platforms. It's, it's, um, it's, it's huge compared to what was back then. But back then, the only way to get on the internet was through, you know, of course, it, very early on, it was Netscape, but pretty, pretty soon Internet Explorer took over and became the prominent one. And Microsoft tools are still, um, you know, at Answer Lab where I work, we use, um, we use Microsoft tools as the main platform. So Outlook, Microsoft Word, Excel, you know, all of those Office Suite tools. I mean, we use a lot of the other ones too, but those are the ones that we standardize on. Yeah, so and I also want to tell you, I know what I noticed about Apple is that you need to buy after waiting like a few kind of uh, years to buy an iPhone because I realized that if you keep on buying the latest one, it's like, it looks the, almost the same. <laughs> it's like the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They sometimes some of those interfaces don't don't change much from one um, from one to another. Yes, and uh, okay. So, how does branding play in a type of in this type of situation? The intangible benefits of a brand. What about the new brands? So, branding is a is a is a is a challenging aspect of. Um, of experience, it's one of those um, it's one of those more subjective areas that's a little bit harder to pin down. So we um, we actually work with companies a lot on their branding strategy, and uh, branding in many cases has a lot to do with personal identity. So you know, I just can use myself as an example. I have an engineering background, and so. Uh, I, I think I identify with Apple a lot more because of the, um, the quality of the engineering and the design that goes into their devices. So I, I can develop an appreciation for that. So I, I identify more with the Apple brand. Um, and, you know, if, if you look at consumer products and things like that, we actually work with companies a lot 
to take branding, uh, whether it's imagery or whether it's text, and to put that in front of people and really understand what, what, kind, what branding works. So that's one of the major aspects of user experience is really understanding what brand resonates with people. Um, and again, in a lot of cases, if it's an established brand, then it's providing products and services and messages that may be consistent with the current perception of the brand. Uh, you know, startup companies and new entities that are doing branding, uh, that's a lot more challenging because you sort of start with a clean, you know, a, a, an open, clean playing field, and you have to help them establish a new brand and a new identity. And, and so there's a lot more work that goes into that. And, and that takes a lot more time to establish a brand. And there's a lot more user experience, research, and development that has to go into that if you're starting from scratch. Yeah, uh, and it takes uh, so much of time actually to cre create those intangible benefits. Like Apple, everybody's crazy over Apple. Yeah, and there are some brands that have um, that sort of have a mixed um, reaction from people. So you know, Facebook is one of those brands that um, you know if you um, if you go out and read the business and tech press. You know, there's there's a, a lot there that you'll learn about what Apple or that what 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 Facebook is, what they do, and you know, speaking of privacy, you know how they manage people's individual privacy, and um, and you know, certainly there was a lot of press around what Facebook did during um, the recent election in the U.S. And so, uh, but in some cases, despite what may be positive or negative about a brand like Facebook. Um, you know, clearly there are still billions of people that are willing to use the platform that still get some value out of it. So brand, even though it may not be entirely positive and people may not identify with it entirely, if they still get value from it, they may still decide to engage and use their services. Yes. Now, can you give uh, me specific examples of how businesses of all sizes are like uh, uh, like having better like responses from the marketplace? Yeah, so again, it kind of goes back to my original premise, yeah. which is that um, all business outcomes happen within, you know, they're, they're individual, all business outcomes are individual decisions made by people within the experiences that we provide them. Um, and so, the ability to observe how people actually interact with those experiences is essential for businesses to be successful and create experiences that they know people will respond to. But one of the big challenges with those experiences and what choices people may or may not make when they encounter those experiences is that it's all hidden. Yeah. So if you have an app that you, you're gonna launch or if you have a website that you're trying to manage to help your business, then the vast majority of what happens on that app or on that website is hidden from you. You don't really know what's going on. And so that's what we do is we, we make those hidden aspects, those hidden dynamics visible in ways that people can understand how is their brand working? What about their pricing? What about their messaging? What about the kinds of products and services they're offering? What about how easy is it for somebody to go through a purchase process? 
how easy is it for somebody to search through an online catalog and find what they want? Um, how easy is it for them to contact a real human being if they get stuck and they need help? So all of those things, unless you set up a very specific process to actually observe people going through those interactions, then they're all invisible. By making them visible, you learn a great deal about what people will or won't do, and therefore you can make changes and you can optimize things in a way that people will, that things will be more useful for people in general, but then they'll also be more conducive to you uh, realizing your business goals. Uh, isn't it a challenge to apply those new insights into um, a growing business as well? Um, it, it, it actually is, you'd be surprised, it's actually more of a challenge with a small and medium-sized businesses. Mm -hmm. All of the big businesses, you know, all of the brands that we've talked about, yes. um, they literally have, you know, small armies of people that focus on user experience, customer experience, and creating, um, you know, really powerful interfaces that human beings can can make sense of and, 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 um, and interact with in useful ways. Uh, a lot of the uh, smaller companies, entrepreneurs, startups, part of it is that th they just don't have the time or the understanding to really understand the power of this. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, when I started doing this decades ago, people really didn't understand the role and importance of experience. Uh, all the big companies understand this now and all of them focus extensively on it. So it's, it's a big deal. It's the, some of the smaller and medium-sized companies that are still getting up to speed on some of these, these practices. And uh, the next question. So what happens to the marketing data when people start um, working on uh, here, especially when the uh, economy declines and businesses are failing? So it, it, there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, people's just basically their contact information may, may change. So, you know, if you look at a customer record or the kind of information, uh, kind of marketing information that we gather and use about customers and prospects, um, basic contact information is the most essential. You know, an email address, a phone number, a name. Now, of course, their names aren't gonna change but if they're, because of the economic situation, they may be changing, changing jobs. They may change jobs within a company or they may change companies. Uh, they may, they, because people are working remotely, they may now be working in a home office instead of in an office building. So the phone number that is, was at their desk may no longer be valid. They are now using their cell phone or a home phone for contact. So just basic contact information can change. Uh, also, the, a lot of the, um, the dynamics about a company, so what kinds of products and services are companies providing? A lot of companies have had to pivot and transform and reinvent themselves. And so that means that if you have information about the company that they were pre-COVID, that information may, now be, may not be valid anymore because they may be doing new products and services. They may have new ways of interacting with their customers that, um, that didn't exist before COVID. Uh, also, there are, we mentioned earlier too about privacy concerns. Um, so there are, you know, it, 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 right before COVID, there were a lot of new privacy regulations that came online like GDPR in Europe. And then there were others, more local initiatives 
and this has continued to expand. So what kind of information we can gather, uh, what we can legally do with it, uh, how much access we need to provide users so they can control it and manage it, all of that is changing as well. So that even, the, even if the data that we have is accurate, we have a lot more regulations and restrictions now about how we manage that data and what we can effectively do with it. So those are just some of the major ways that the, that, that marketing data is, is being transformed. Yes, and uh, how do you exactly do get, uh, obtain the marketing data? Um, through, the, you have specific uh, devices or like apps that have uh, programs that uh, uh like that record these type of stuff so it's faster than a human doing so it? it 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 varies a lot in some cases um some of this data again partly because of the new regulations some of this data is information that the customers or the product you know, that people have to willingly provide yeah and they have to consent you know i mean if you're using your iphone you get this all the time Yes. You know, you're constantly getting, um, and, and Apple now has built this into the iPhone is, you know, different apps will ask your permission on whether or not uh, they can track you across the internet. And uh, in, in almost every case, I say, no, I don't want a lot of that information. So in a lot of cases now, in order to update that marketing information, we're going to have to ask customers specifically for it and get their consent to use it. So that's one of the primary ways. Now, there also are a lot of algorithmic ways that we can do that. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot of use of, you know, when you surf the internet, you still get a lot of notifications about cookies. Uh, there's still a lot of marketing techniques that keep track of where you visit, what kind of products you purchase, uh, what kind of content you might be interested in. Now, again, there's, there's a lot more regulations now on how we gather that information and how we use it, but there's still a lot of algorithmic methods. So the two primary ways that we're going to gather and update uh, and keep updated a lot of that marketing information is through direct consent and customers actually providing it for us or through those algorithmic methods where we're monitoring user behavior and customer actions and we're, make, we're, we're recording that and then you know, learning how to, how to apply it in, in, uh, in different ways. Yes, and the last question. So what changes have each uh, business made during COVID? Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft? So I, I mean, if you go to each one of those, there are certainly some specific ways. Um, so I probably one of the biggest ways is the vast majority of the employees of those companies have gone remote. Yes. So some of those companies are starting to uh, open offices again, and it varies a lot from one company to another or one location to another. And it, it probably by job function, there's some, it varies as well. So, um, uh, so one of the things that we've done in a lot of the user experience research that we've done is help these companies figure out how to help their workforce be effective with all these different electronic tools and virtual tools that they're, that they're going to need to work remotely. So working remotely is probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, but again, I'm, uh, that's internally. I'm externally, 
probably the biggest change has been them either adding or expanding significant new uh, ways of interacting with customers remotely. So it's e-commerce systems, it's new ways of providing learning experiences for customers, uh, it's new ways of people interacting with, you know, if you need customer support, if you need to interact with a real human being, what kind of tools are available for you to do that. Um, so a lot of it is helping people internally, all those companies help people internally be successful as they have to work remotely and then inventing and expanding new and better ways for them to um, market and sell their products and services and then interact with customers virtually without, you know, without having to deal with contact and the risk of COVID. Uh, so it was, I actually like this uh, podcast because it, you can learn a lot from it and the way, yeah, it was so useful having you. Thank you. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. It was fun to talk to you. So I want to, uh, I just want to make uh, one request. Yes. So as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're doing, we're researchers. So we're doing more research on how people are coping with a lot of the things that we talked about. Yes. We've developed a whole series of best practices around how to help companies go contactless, develop new e-commerce systems, uh, work remotely, in general, how to deal with COVID. Uh, we also want to learn more about how people are dealing with a lot of the misinformation that's out there and how to find out uh, how to build more reliable and authentic experiences that people can believe in and that, that, are, that are truthful. And also to help people really develop an appreciation for the role that experience plays in all of this. So um, uh, I have a, a web page set up. So if you go to itsthusers.com slash research, we'd love to hear from you uh, because we'd love to have you participate in our research and find out how the world is coping with all of this and develop more best practices. And also if you submit the request to participate in the research, there's a very extensive free library on a number of different user experience topics that we've developed and you can download that and that's for free. You can use that as much as you want to. And, uh, and that's available there as well. Thank you, Bob Bay. It was so good to have you. Thank you very much for having me and, you know, and Roshni, good luck with your podcast. And, uh, you know, thanks for doing this. This is, this is very important for the world we live in today. Yes. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode we had with Bob Berry. Um, and it was incredible having him as well. Um, I put all his details on the description. And um, I will give you a link to um, the research he's currently doing at this moment. And I am your host, Rashni Hevawasa. And don't forget to buy my book uh, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's called Unveiling the Truth Behind Catherine's Destiny. Make sure you subscribe to Teo Academy on YouTube as well. And I am signing out.